Male sexual empowerment. Who the hell talks about that? Well, we do. Episode 46 of the Be Yourself and Love It podcast. Ruth Souter is back on the show. She is a coach. Her special areas are... Oh, her special areas. I'm sure all her areas are special. Her specialist areas, of course, are sex, love and relationships. And who isn't interested in those topics? Okay, let's just hit it. Ruth. Okay. Anthony. <laughs> that was me about to hit it. We spoke a <laughs> Ruth, welcome back to the show. Hi, Anthony. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> oh, I'm delighted. So it's been a little while since we put out our last show, and you were a popular guest, uh, my friend Nick Ulbrecht who runs the Tangent General podcast, took an excerpt from our conversation and included it in an episode. That was pretty cool. And now I've got you back. So you had an idea to talk about male sexual empowerment today. And I think that's a good topic. And it's something that I want to talk about more um, men's issues in relation. I think most of the listeners to this show are dudes we've got lots of lovely ladies who listen as well (laughs) but i I, i'm guessing it's probably 70 30 so why male sexual empowerment i think male sexual empowerment because we need sexual empowerment for both genders and there's been a really fantastic vibrant conversation about female sexual empowerment for a while now um still got a way to go but there's a really great kind of consciousness um awareness rising around women's sexual empowerment but i don't think we're seeing the same for men i think Mm. men are kind of more in an uncomfortable situation with the me too movement at the moment Mm. of like how how do we handle that Mm. and there's a lot of shaming of male sexuality at the moment i think culturally could you tell me a little bit more about the species of um shaming of male, male sexuality that you've encountered uh Gosh, I think it's become fairly mainstream, really. Mm. It's like I, I, I talk to a lot of guys who are who uh, who even before the Me Too movement were um, online dating, only ever online dating mm. because they felt like if they ever approached a woman in public, it could be seen as creepy or right. aggressive or um, or inappropriate. So already there was like a lot of intermission, mm. inhibition about um, even just talking to somebody. Mm. Right. <laughs> um, and I also do a lot of work with people because the the coaching that I do is tantra based, and tantra is all about embracing, like looking at our shadow side, looking at the mm. things that we're scared of. So there's a lot, there's a bit of work around gender, so mm. exploring what masculinity, femininity mean to people. And I haven't worked with a man yet who hasn't had um, some major kind of issues around masculinity, like some right. negative connotations. Um, perceived um they, they just see it some some men i mean just don't see anything good about being masculine well, really, which is yeah. just a bit, a bit of a tragedy because they obviously feel like they are at some level so i think that's um that's awful really <laughs> yeah and i have to say myself i grew up with the impression that women were the more enlightened sex and that men were responsible well were the bad sex, the worst sex. And it might not, might have been partially because I wasn't that masculine and I didn't like the jockey stuff. I wasn't sporty and uh, uh, maybe, I, I, uh, but, or, or maybe I received unkind, more unkind treatment from boys growing up than girls. But I don't think it was limited to my own first-hand experience. I felt like that permeated the culture. You know, despite the notion that women are the subordinate have been the subordinate sex in our society and maybe for hundreds or thousands of years that I wasn't getting the impression that uh, I was benefiting from a whole lot of male privilege growing up I have to say and um, it took me a while to get a decent group of guy friends and actually see the benefit of having a group of lads. Not that I'm very laddish, but, um, <laughs> and, you know, and I saw the benefit of that. Um, and to actually be comfortable with being more masculine and that women around me um, really liked 
uh, when I was more masculine. What I mean, what does that mean? Let's start with that then, because there's some people who will tell you that masculinity and femininity are all a social construct. What does masculinity mean to you? Yeah, and you're getting like straight into such a controversial topic there, mm. like what is masculine, what is feminine, and I, I as much as possible try not to use those terms mm. because I think that we're all a blend of both. Sure. Uh, and and a lot of the issues that that men have around this idea of what it is to be a man, mm. it's like. Because generally it means like showing no emotion except for mm. maybe anger. <laughs> right. Um, showing no emotions, um, being strong all the time, liking sport, like quite quite in the box um, kind of definition. Football, beer and sex. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. But there's other elements that are associated with masculinity, like stepping up to lead and being driven not that women can't be driven, but even so, they may sometimes be considered to be masculine for that. But I'm trying to think, because we hear this term sometimes, like toxic masculinity, and it's socially acceptable to use that term. But if you use the term toxic femininity, you'd probably be considered to be saying something sexist. So riddle me that one. But what I mean to say is not all of the traits associated with masculinity are necessarily bad things. Um, there's also the role of protector, uh, which was necessary historically for biological reasons. I mean, if you're in a tribal society or something like that, a man just has a more physical structure than a woman does and is going to be needing to do the protecting and to a large degree the the providing that was what we inherited from the the need for the species to evolve so yeah we we can have negative connotations with masculinity but the kind of provider protector role isn't necessarily always seen as a bad thing i mean even the again the the, the deadbeat dad that is in itself a word that's used in the culture to signify that a man that is not stepping up to his responsibilities as a man to provide and protect his children. So the fact that, and again we can go into the fact that that's totally socially acceptable to turn out phrases like deadbeat dads, but if you criticise someone for... A f- see, I, you see, I'm already closing up before I say it and it's my show. <laughs> yeah. Supposing you were to say that a woman was irresponsible in her choice of partner when she had a child on television, you would be pilloried for it. Absolutely. Even if, it, even if there was an element of truth to it, it's not acceptable So mm. socially. I'm not saying that you should go around criticising people's choices either. I just mean to point out the double standard. Why do you think, why do you think we have that double standard? I like to think that it's a pendulum swing, mm-hmm. and that because it was so um, that it's going to like swing swing in the favour of of being more pro pro women for a while, and then it'll swing back to the middle. And I, I think mm. it's going to. I mean, if it's going to be a pendulum swing, then it should go further because it definitely yeah. hasn't swung to the maximum yet. And then hopefully, like settle in the middle and just have a bit less, um, yeah, a bit less political correctness about that that sort of stuff. Right, so I mean, one of my favourite um, commentators on this issue is Warren Farrell, who wrote a couple of great books. One is "One Why Men Are the Way They Are, and another is The Myth of Male Power. And, and he, uses, he was a prominent feminist in the 70s, and then he started exploring men's issues in the 80s. And he said that rather than looking at simply a woman's movement, or a men's movement, it would be good to build a gender transition movement because what feminism did was to examine the role that was expected of women and in the hope of giving them more options of what they could do with their life. And feminists would say things like, why is there no men's studies? History is men's studies. But if you look at what is studied as history, it's not a question of exploring men's roles and giving them more options. If anything, the study of history only reinforced 
the standard roles that men would carry out as, you know, the disposable sex, so to speak, disposable in war. You get drafted into the army and go fight for the king or the feudal lord or even in a democratic country or disposable at work doing the most dangerous and unpleasant jobs and provide... Uh, you you know you become a hero in history if you win win a battle, <laughs> and we, you not so much are we um, studying the 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 history of innovations and inventions or ideas that shape mankind and improve them, um, unless maybe you take a philosophy class. Uh, although I fear I'm dominating the discussion, so. <laughs> So I find you very easy to talk to, Ruth. That must be why you're so successful as a relationship coach. <laughs> um, well, every, yeah, I, I like to think I'm easy to talk to. It's helpful in my profession, mm. definitely. Um, yeah, and I think what you're saying is, is really interesting. Um, to, to my mind, it's a lot more helpful to look forward, really, to how things can be done in a fair way than to look back yes. and be like, oh, that was male-centric, that was female-centric, and like kind of try and score it out Um and I think, like, I hope that we're also moving towards a, a, an era where we can sort of celebrate differences as well rather than seeing mm. difference meaning inequality because I mm. think um, at the moment there's a lot of um, well-intended programs to create more gender equality in different professions and, and they can be, um, yeah, I don't know, there's just some, there's some, there's some wacky thinking out there about what, what yes. equality looks like. There's a presumption that women will want to do the same thing as men want to do, given the choice. So if there's less women in engineering than men, it must be because of sexism. It can't be because maybe not as many women are interested in being engineers as men are. Uh, we can go into like some of the data on this. Um, it seems to be that on average, men are slightly more interested in things and women are slightly more interested in people, which is why women dominate in professions that used to be male-dominated, like biology, psychology, and teaching. Now, the difference isn't very much of a difference. However, if you consider that if you want to be an engineer, you need to be really, really, really interested in things. Most of the people on the extreme end of the curve, because of the slight difference, are going to be overwhelmingly men. And that's, that's what the data seems to suggest. So I guess what I think would be interesting to get back to the issue of male sexual empowerment, would you mind anonymously... Um, or you could make a composite of some of the kind of issues that you've helped men work through, where they start off, what the waypoints are, and where you hope or they have got to. Like, what's the journey like for a man to become more sexually empowered? Yeah, um, I, f I, feel, <laughs> I feel like I'm going to just, come up with so many paradoxes in this conversation. Um, I, one of the first things I was going to emphasise is that working with men, I haven't found to be that different in terms of mm. core needs. Um, in terms of core needs, I think humans, mm. you know, we all just want to feel safe and loved and accepted yeah. and like we belong where we are. Um, one of the first things, though, that I do with men that's different to women, so women have been historically very, very shamed for being mm -hmm. too wild. Um, right. Too wild and too sexual, like those mm. things have you know, they're actively mm. dangerous things in, in many parts of the world mm. now. So um, so a lot of work with women to reclaim that and for them mm. to feel safe to express that side of themselves. For men, the um, similarly, like now their sexual urges have definitely mm. been shamed um, and and kind of a lot of guys have learnt that any sexual impulses that they have are mm. dangerous. Mm. Um, you know, the phrases, really horrible phrases like unleash the beast, like... Mm. It's like um, you switch off your ability to connect with another human and you switch off your mm. brain and you just become an animal. It's awful. Um, that and also um, the um, violent aspect mm. of, of masculinity, like mm. the the, um, the capability to kill is something mm. that I, I use pretty crude language when I'm working mm. with it because I want men to be able to reclaim that those urges can be positive. Mm. You know, um, that they're not things that they need to repress. They're actually beautiful parts of a whole person um, used the right way. Like nobody wants men to like stop um, having sexual urges. Mm. Like there's no, there's not very many women out there who are like, oh, I just wish men would just like 
let me tell them what to do. Like mm. you, you kind of get this weird, um, this weird thing where we want men to be respectful, but we also mm. want them to be a man, and it's like yeah. kind of hard for guys to know like what what the fuck that looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so like doing practices to reclaim that, and even just honestly, usually just even when I explain it to guys, like their faces just go white. They're like, you Whoa. want me to watch? <laughs> like even to think about it. But that is, you know, when you hit a point like that, that's when you know that it's super empowering to reclaim that. Like, this is part of me and it's, it can be used for good. Um, so I can't really remember how I started telling you about that, but that, that's one of the one of the first things that I do. And also really a lot of integration work for men, like, um, because I do body-based coaching, it's like for them to realise that their heads and their hearts and their um, sexual urges are connected. Mm. Like, you don't switch one off and then have the other. You can, you can um, be totally conscious while you're making love you can be Mm. loving at the same time as making decisions even if you know whatever the decision is um and just realize that because um as well because men tend to be um i think a useful concept is thinking of um uh, if if you want to think about ways to relate to men and women is to think that women are kind of typically uh, open up emotionally easier but typically it takes them longer to warm up sexually Mm. men are kind of the other way around Mm. (laughs) they can kind of get and massive, massive gross generalizations, but men can sure. generally get turned on, well, get get a response fairly quickly. Um, right. But emotionally, it's harder for guys. Like, guys mm. require emotional foreplay before they mm. can talk about their deepest feelings. So I think a lot of guys feel um, feel quite disconnected mm. from from their hearts and feel mm. like there's a real risk in opening up there as well, like sure. there's vulnerability. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, most men would have at least a couple of stories of times where they felt vulnerable but the last person they would want to talk about that to would be a girl they fancied yeah do you know what i mean uh, it's like the the this grave sense of i can't think of anything that would be more repellent to her than that <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's really sad. I think that happens in relationships too. When there's people become very, very invested in relationships, they actually get so protective of not wanting to say anything that's risky mm-hmm. that their partner is the last person they would tell how they really felt about something. Right. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, that can manifest in all sorts of ways, like not wanting to bring up problems until it's too late. But I think, um, I mean, there is a sense in which I, I think it's, it's not an unrealistic expectation that men have that in certain situations being vulnerable will actually genuinely be repellent to uh, um, women. Um, and so it's very, men need to cultivate a different sense of, a different type of vulnerability um, in some cases if they want to feel safe because you have to not give a, you, you have to completely and utterly believe in your right to be vulnerable in order for your expression of vulnerability to have a masculine strength behind it. I don't know if I articulate that well, um, if it's clear what I mean by that, which is, there's a, see, when, see if you feel like completely hopeless. Um, that's that's the, the truest sense of vulnerability. And I found that what's more acceptable for a man and can actually empower a relationship is if you express your difficult feelings with a sense of leading the conversation, so to speak. Like, I'm bringing this to you. Mm. And, I mean, obviously I'm speaking from first-hand experience. How would you articulate that <laughs> otherwise? It sounds like I've not got to the point where I can articulate it clearly enough. Um, it's not the same as being needy, but what do men do with their... What do you suggest men do with their needy feelings? Oh, what do I suggest men do with their needy feelings? I mean, the first the first thing would be finding people that they can talk to. Right. Um, because I think a lot of guys just isolate, basically. Mm-hmm. They just literally shut themselves off. Um, and because there isn't as much of a culture of men sharing with other men, I know that happens, but it's culturally mm. not as so, um, yeah. so just like yeah, making the effort to communicate with somebody. Um, the stuff, I mean, the work that I do with people it helps to like again, it's body based, 
Because what literally happens when we're being vulnerable is that our nervous system tells us that that's not a safe mm. thing to do, which it right. isn't, as you say. Like sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Um, and the the tricky thing about it is it's very much how you do it. Like there's lots of examples of men being very emotional mm. in the public sphere and being absolutely applauded and celebrated for it. Um, but there's lots of examples of men being totally shamed for emotional outbursts right. as well. So like knowing how to do it. Um, and that really comes from when you feel like it's safe and you just own it and you're like, mm. yeah. <laughs> which is funny. It's, it's like yeah. we kind of get back the energy that we're putting out. So if we if we express vulnerability and we're terrified that mm. people are going to judge us, there's a much better chance that they will than if yeah. we're just like, hey, this is how I feel. No, that's the tragedy <laughs> of it. That is the tragedy of it. And I like that you used the word own it because I feel like both the best and worst thing about being a man is it's usually cool as long as you own it. Whatever it is, like, if you like, um, if you work in IT and you love it, that's fine, as long as you can express it in such a way that sounds enthusiastic. People will believe you, but if you don't, it's like, oh, do you live in your mum's basement? Well, actually, it's the attic. Yeah. You know, the internet connection's better up there. If you can make, you know, if you can own it, if you yeah. can make a, a joke about it, then, and it's the same I find in relationships, um, Women can like a bad boy, but they can also love a man with integrity because that can be very sexy. You know, wow, he's got values and he really means it. He's passionate about it. He owns it. And and I find that in all things. The, the, that's good because it means whatever you are, you can look at how you're owning, you're not owning it and try and prove uh, your self-acceptance and become a little bit more strident with it. If it's good, if it's cool to you, it tends to be cool to other people. The difficulty is, of course, if you're struggling in that area and you are chronically unsure of yourself, it's murder for a, a guy. I mean, it's bad for a woman as well, but I would say in the dating sphere in particular, it's going to have a massive, uh, a far bigger deleterious effect on your chance of finding someone to be in a relationship with if you're not on good terms with yourself. Do you agree? Mm. Do you disagree? Do you have anything to add or subtract? Uh, <laughs> I definitely want to validate that experience mm. of um, crippling fear mm. of rejection that guys have. Um, and it's, you know, it's like one of those things where it becomes, you know, the fear will, the mm. fear will create problems because if you weren't having the fear and you just went up and went to talk to somebody, mm without like being par terrified of what the response would be, you would probably say something quite mm. different and it wouldn't um, it wouldn't come off so badly. So there's definitely like a lot of, you know, practical skills that you can learn to like calm yourself down mm. and be able to to um to talk to people. But the fear of rejection, I mean women have it as well and of but course. we just have it easy because it's like culturally we don't have to do it. So right. it's like, well if you can he'll come over, right? Yeah. Like, so yeah. You just stand with your, the lazy you option there. Stand with you, your back to the bar and smile over at him yeah. uh, a few times but you know there's even women who don't know how to do that you know don't know how to give a guy a cue like it's okay to come over and then when they do do it the guy might be completely oblivious to the fact that that was his cue so here's men wonder like they see a beautiful woman or someone they think is just their type and they think Man, I wish I knew what to say to her. Like, what could I say to make her interested in me? Like, I wish I just knew what to say. Um, what should they say? <laughs> supposing <laughs> you, supposing someone at home sees a girl and she thinks she's just my type. I'd love to go over and start a conversation with her, but I don't know what to say. What be? Should he say? Should he say? I saw. I thought you were very beautiful, and I'd like to talk to you. Uh, or should he not convey his interest All right, right so, up the front? Hmm. All right. So I'm shooting from the hip here because the coaching I do is very deep psychological mm. coaching. Um, it's not sort of pick up lines, but <laughs> um, but that's actually a really good question. I think. I mean, I think the thing is to realise when there's a social situation where. Um, people are open to being talked to, mm -hmm. that's fairly key of what way they're going to be open mm. to being talked to. So that I think it's always good to go in and open, assuming that somebody is going to like you yeah. and 
in a friendly way, not necessarily in a pickup way, right. like in a friendly, chatty way. Like, and then um, I mean, there's occasionally. I mean, some unfortunately, some some people will respond negatively to mm. being told, "Oh, I think you're really beautiful. Can I mm. buy you a drink?" Um, I think you can do worse, though. Like, mm. <laughs> yeah, you can probably um, do a lot worse than that. Um, yeah. I think, well, as someone who's gone out deliberately and spoken to hundreds of strangers, mostly women but men as well, my first word of advice to that person who sees a beautiful girl and wants to approach them is already have approached. <laughs> don't wait, don't wait till you see, don't wait till you see the girl that you want. Go out and start speaking to strangers. Make it easy for yourself. Start in the supermarket. Get chatty with the till lady. When someone wants to flyer with you, flyer you. Get chatty with them. And then when you're out and about, cultivate um habit of saying, "Hey, you guys look like you're having a nice time. What's the occasion? Or is it someone's birthday? Or uh, and have a little chat so that when you see someone that you really like and you chat to them, you won't be so nervous." And I, I would yeah. say of all the things that I've done in my life, talking to lots and lots of strangers is probably, if not the most tran- transformational, it's up there Not for, um, with yoga, right? And, mm-hmm. and taking regular exercise. Because it made me less reactive a person. I'm less quick to stress. Mm-hmm. Even being able to stop during a conversation like this and figure out what I'm going to say before I said it was a cause of taking the time to speak to so many people I don't know and learn that actually it's okay not to rush and to come to your words. So, um, yeah, I, I know that's a big ask of people, but I think it's really good. that This this is a podcast called Male Sexual Empowerment, and I think yeah, I, I need to give people the goods and not lie about what it takes. I mean... It's a daunting task, but most people, even if they don't want to speak to you, are not going to be extremely unfriendly. Um, maybe 10% will be, be like, excuse me, we're busy, like, go away. But, the, the, but that's, that's a small percentage. And what you, and what you stand to gain uh, goes beyond just being able to get a girlfriend one day, but actually um, understanding that, first of all, it's not the first thing you say that really matters. It's the vibe that you convey when you say it. And secondly, that even if the first thing doesn't come right, come out right, or they, they have a bad reaction, the more experienced you get, the more you find that if you just become to clarity yourself and respond to their response, it's really the second thing that you're going to say, which not the first thing that you're going to say, which counts. It's how you respond to the response. So there's another one of my um, extended manifestos. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think that's a really good point, though. I think um, if there were two things that I would want every guy to know, it would be that there's um, there's somebody there's loads of people actually out there that are mm. going to find them fascinating mm. and really interesting and fun to hang out with like it's not like you need to be a particular mm. type of person um so like be yourself like don't feel like you have to put on this different sort of manly persona or any of that sort of thing and like don't be afraid to learn some communication skills like you say don't be afraid mm. to practice talking to people don't be afraid to read books or whatever like mm. um the the people they're really really good with other people have usually either been around people mm. who've seen it modeled like they've yeah, learned it they've somehow, somehow. Like, or not. yeah yeah and, <laughs> and a lot of people didn't learn because they were in playing video games or watching television when they were kids because school wasn't that fun and they weren't that social so they decided not to be more social and it became a downward spiral effect and yeah and mm. one thing that I recommend to people now is take a note of the little things that happen to you during the day that are funny because you you need some material to talk about your own life that isn't heavy. People think of talking about themselves as talking about big issues in their lives. And uh, I'm running these small talk workshops in Glasgow because small talk wasn't something that I was very good at, but I cultivated the ability. 
And it's like, you don't, the littlest things are funny. Like, I, I had an anecdote about how I can never finish a cup of coffee. Like, I start drinking it, and then I go on my laptop, and I forget about it. And this turns into a whole anecdote about me pouring pouring the coffee down, having to pour the coffee down the sink, or trying to put more boiling water in, but then it's too weak, so I have to. And stuff like that, you know, let the, the little things that you constantly think are so trivial that you think, um... Or, or what would be the point? No one would be interested in that. Are exactly the things that would be interested in and are perfect for the first time you chat to someone because there's no pressure around talking about something silly and small, you know, that happened yeah. to you yesterday. And I'll kind of want to click people into the mindset because I would I would talk about those things to close people or to my girlfriend or whatever. I'd come home and say, you know what happened today, blah, blah. You know, it's just such a silly thing. But you never thought, think to speak about it with people who you don't know. Mm, and that saves yeah. you getting into like really heavy discussions, whether they're emotional or about your relationship history when you first meet someone <laughs> or about your philosophical or political decisions. It would be nice to have like an alternative. People say things like, oh, don't talk about these things on a first date. Um, like, but they don't tell you what to do instead. Hmm. Yeah, I guess that's why I say, like, assume friendship. Mm -hmm. Like, I think if you can talk to everybody that you talk to as if you knew that they were going to hear what you were saying, like, as if you were, like, at the, you know, the, the coffee shop under your office or whatever it is and you're just having a little bit of a joke with the person next to you, like, going in with that kind of playful attitude. And then if somebody doesn't talk to you back, you're like, well, you know, saddled them rather than feeling like oh my god that was that yeah. was a terrible reason. I appreciate you saying that and that comes back to my like go out and speak to a hundred strangers like make a mission of it it's a daunting affair but you know you'll get so much more out of it because what one of the things you get out of it is you'll realize that it's not all about you just mm -hmm. because an interaction didn't go that well doesn't mean that you were at fault Whereas you might think that at the beginning, but by the end you realize, wow, like 10-15% of people are really enthusiastic to talk to you. 10-15% will just ignore you or turn their back to you or, or be rude. And there's a whole like spectrum in the middle. Some people will be friendly to you, but you won't feel like you click with them. There's some people will be friendly to you and you find them very, very easy to talk to. So you, you understand that you're not the only one responsible. You're responsible in the sense that you're going up and you're initiating an interaction. But I do think that at some point, if she's friendly and you are there, like, you know, to, because you're hoping to get her number or a date, you can, um, you need to express um, interests somehow before you get uh, chronically sent to the friend zone without passing go <laughs> <laughs> the um so and and what i found is the more experienced i became the more i could express that with my body language rather than having to make a statement of intent i'd be obvious you know she knows why why you're there you know why you're there and um, because it's because it's something in the air but and you don't need to actually be a great at chit chatting to um to get someone interested in you but most people will not be confident en enough to do the stuff that they do need to do to get someone interested in them until they do feel confident chit-chatting yeah yeah that's true and i think people do like it's interesting that you mentioned body language as well because it's definitely a really strong form of communication mm. but i think people also can get like um, I've had guys saying to me, you know, what does it mean when she does this? What does it mean when she does that? And it's like you can kind of, um, you don't want to be like trying to read yeah. too much into what's going on yeah. around you either because that'll be crazy making and there's 101 reasons why somebody yeah. might push their hair. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, they might be nervous. So they think, might think you're cute. They might, you know, be self-conscious. Yeah. All sorts of reasons. Yeah, so it's totally that thing of like being friendly, seeing if there's some rapport. And then, like, if you're not sure if somebody likes you or not, ask them if they mm. want to say, like, I'm really enjoying the conversation. Do you want to get a coffee? Or, mm. like, you can ask in a way that isn't, like, 
super super awkward like it's not going to destroy the flow of the conversation if you say yeah, that it's you thinking that you don't have the right to do it which creates a sense of awkwardness and mm. in interactions you know if you yeah. if you're unsure you 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 put out the unsure vibe and you make people around you unsure it's infectious yeah. all emotions are infectious yeah that's true yeah and like being able to um release yourself from that kind of that you know the this the fear i guess is that uh, that guys have is that they're going to be thought of as creepy or mm. predatory or or any of those things mm. but if you go in and, and you're just being really friendly then you're not gonna you're gonna avoid you're just gonna neatly sidestep yeah that issue you look more creepy if you're not confident doing it yeah definitely that's the that's the the the, that's why i feel so sorry for men sometimes because you need to go through the period of being unconfident to get confident most of the time and like confident uh comes with experience like i'm right not to feel confident playing the saxophone because i don't know how to play the bloody thing right but if you put me down beside a keyboard i do a pretty good job you know because i've got more experience and um yeah, I guess someone, you know, being ha- being able to talk to someone like you to talk through their issues is kind of like the pre-game of... Um, I always remember that quote from Thomas Hobbes that's in my book, Procrastination Annihilation. It is one thing to desire, it is another thing to be in the capacity fit for what we desire. And I guess you get pe- you help people become fit to start pursuing what they want in their lives. Yeah, yeah. To be honest, one of the biggest things, people that come to work with me are usually people who just haven't been, they've got a block of some mm. sort that's kind of, um, like a lot of the guys I work with have been single for a really right. long time. Um, and they've got, like, they, they think that they're sort of fine with being single, mm. but they've been single for like 10 years and it oh. suddenly hit them, maybe they're going to be single forever if right. they keep being single. Yeah, yeah well, I'm, um, glad that they're, I'm glad that they're stepping out to... Um, embrace an opportunity with you to improve their prospects yeah well yeah for me it just shows I think that I mean men and women are both both pretty misunderstood but I think it really um demonstrates that like a lot lot of these guys sorry that's my cat um (laughs) a lot of these guys have like basically experienced a um heartbreak a bad breakup Mm. and just like literally never got over it wow um well, yeah, that's yeah. I mean, we've all had bad bad breakups, but I imagine it paralyzing you for as long as ten years. Yeah. Well, I guess it starts out as like a par- paralysis, and then it becomes like a lifestyle choice, and then it becomes this thing that's been in motion for a long time that has a lot of momentum mm. behind it. Um, and people, you know, men and women as well, we're not really we don't really get taught how to deal with emotional traumas either. Mm. It's like there's like this, you're sort of just supposed to cry a bit. If you're a girl, you're supposed to cry a bit. If you're a guy, you're, I think you're allowed to cry after a breakup, aren't you? You're allowed to cry for a little while and then you're supposed to just get back out there and kind of carry on. But um, but for a lot of people, they don't. if they don't feel like they know how to handle it or they feel like they're overwhelmed by it, then they can just sort of stay in that same cycle and, and not move through. And do you think that it's some that women tend to move on faster than men do, or is that just a ge- too much of a generalization? I don't think. Yeah, I don't. I don't think you could say that one necessarily moves on faster than the other. In as far as I've seen, mm. I can say that for women generally, they um, process better because mm. they are more accustomed to seeking support and talking about it and kind of processing it in that way so they get more social support a lot of guys will just shut down or maybe they'll talk to one guy and quite often um and quite often the advice that they get from the one guy that they'll talk to it won't be that helpful it'll be like you know yeah. all women are crazy anyway um uh, she's like blah blah, really. blah. <laughs> yeah there, there's that kind of perception that when um women go and speak to their female friends they'll get like supported and a pep talk and like you 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 go girl but when guys go to their male friends to talk about problems they're more likely to get um 
well, look at it from the other person's point of view, like, or they'll get quick fixes, or you should just do this, you should just do that, and they won't necessarily get the depth of empathy, um, mm. which is more native to the way that um, women either learn or are encultured to give to one another and there's quite a lot of videos on my youtube channel about empathy the importance of empathy and uh, how to do it one is uh, the video don't bright side me bro and another is can, <laughs> can empathy be a learned skill and um i definitely saw the importance of that when maybe about seven years ago i discovered the book Nonviolent communication and i started practicing the le listening techniques in that book in my day-to-day -day life with the people around me and I saw how much uh, receiving proper empathy helped people which led me mm -hmm. to which led me to do my postgrad in counseling which led me to us being here so yeah. <clears throat> so yeah I appreciate that and the, the fact that men I think it's changing I think more and more men are embracing the importance of being able to talk I think in some quarters there's a fear that men, while doing that, will become weaker or cease to be men. Or, But I'm kind of optimistic that the correct balance can be done. Because if you really believe that you can't go to your woman with all your vulnerabilities or a woman with all your vulnerabilities, it'll be pretty good, actually, if you have other... Even if that's true. And it'll be pretty good if you've yeah. got other people to talk to first so that you don't have to bring her a half bake cake and go here's a, a whisk some eggs and some flour can you do something with my emotions for me instead you go right here's what I've got to present to you it's a nice cake do you like it or not <laughs> does it need to go yeah, back yeah. back in for another 20 minutes <laughs> do you know what I mean and so yeah I, I don't know it's there is there is a balance to be made because <clears throat> I guess you want to also learn to be a good support to yourself and to be able to sometimes deal with things because you won't always have access to other people. But I find it hard to myself have a notion of being able to learn that without first having it modelled to you from others. The other thing I wanted to kind of circle back to was this kind of um, different attachment styles um, mm. Do you want to say say something about them? Uh, I'll, I'm going to quote one of my best friends. Um, she has a, a has a saying like, um, "All models are wrong, but some models are useful." Right. And I think for me, that's attachment styles. Um, it's a useful. It can be useful to learn mm -hmm. the theories of attachment styles, but I um, I do see a lot of people will then take that on as a definition of who mm. they are. Um, and it's and it's very much yeah. I know when I did a few years ago I was very much told well you have your attachment style and you have that for life and I was like oh my god like <laughs> right. I'm just going to repeat this I'm going to repeat this forever I'm doomed um, so I think I, I think it's useful <laughs> yeah I tend to think that we all have all of them in us um, one is the kind of secure uh, the ability to attach securely another one's kind of um, anxious, preoccupied. Another is dismissive, avoidant, and the other is fearful, avoidant. Can you can you say a little bit about them uh, for people who haven't heard of them before? Yeah. So the 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 theory goes that secure attachment is um, basically you, you develop your attachment style as a child, and the, the idea of a securely attached child is one that learns to self soothe. Um, the one that has kind of balanced upbringing and then they can form like balanced give and take relationships with other adults um, when they're an adult. Um, whereas um, somebody who's avoidant and uh, avoidant and anxious attachment styles um, are very attractive to each other because if you've had a parent who's a bit avoidant then you tend to become an attached, a nervous attached child because mm -hmm. you're trying to get more attention from them because mm -hmm. you feel that they're pushing you away. Um, and the other way around as well, if you have a parent who's very, um, you know, very, very nervously attached to you, mm -hmm. then you can become you can become an avoidant type. Um, 
And I definitely see as well that people can swing between mm-hmm. styles as well. You can go straight from being anxiously attached yeah. into being an avoidant personality. Yeah, yeah. Well. You're like, I need you, I need you, I need you. Right, okay, that's it. You've pissed me off. Fuck off. Like, just get away. Yeah. I just need away from them. Yeah. And I think the kind of stereotype of how the dynamic plays out in a relationship will be the uh, woman's got a problem with her man and wants to talk it out but he needs some space because he's feeling avoidant so he wants to go away the more he goes away on his own the more desperate she feels she needs to talk about the issue so she presses him more and they're uh, caught up in a, a negative dynamic because they're desires for how to resolve the situation are essentially at odds with one another mm-hmm. so um i guess maybe some good communication could come into play where he says i really want you know i really w- do want to talk to you about about this i'm not well resourced enough at the moment but if you give me some time um you know or, or something like that i i feel like i'm the kind of person who I don't attach very easily, very quickly in a relationship, but once I do, like, I feel like my emotions are like barnacles around a person, and (laughs) it's so difficult as a man, or it has been so difficult as a man to have the, to be the neat, to be the needy one after a relationship, it's like the the thing you want, no one wants to be in that position, but it's so horrible because it goes against everything you actually are meant to do to put yourself in the the best position in your life, which is, you know, stand up straight, uh, follow the no contact, the 90 days no contact rule or whatever it is, etc, etc, etc. When your whole biology is set up to go, like, come back, like, hold me, like, you want to turn to that person for all... You want to turn to that person to comfort you from something that they're that they initiated it's a, it's a complete mess uh, yeah, they're, they're the last person you should be wanting to turn to and yet that's what the the biology says and then everything becomes an audience for the other person i'm sure everyone's experienced this after a breakup like you know you 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 see things and you think oh i want to show them this or i want to show them that or, i can't send them too many things because like you know, that's just going to push them away more or, or it's going to whatever. Yeah. So how do, uh, how do, how do you suggest people um, engage constructively with those kinds of emotions? Uh, how do you engage? Const- well, there's a couple of pieces at play in that. And one of them that I just want to touch on before I answer your question. So mm-hmm. hold that in case I go off on a tangent sure. and forget what that question was. Um, the first one would be that um, communication skills pretty much will compensate for any attachment styles. Like the thing is that most of us have learned that communication is like exchanging words and hopefully mm-hmm. not talking over each other. We mm-hmm. haven't learned a lot about deep listening. We haven't mm-hmm. learned a lot about reflecting and checking in with what mm-hmm. we heard. We haven't learned a lot about, like, holding space for each other, so being able to really express yourself honestly, Mm. which is what I touched on before as well. It can become that your relationship is the last place on earth that you would ever actually be because you're so invested in keeping it going and you're so convinced that if you show any chinks, it's going to be the end Mm. or it's going to upset them or, um, like, the stakes just become too high. So I think, like, learning how to have that, then it doesn't become a matter of, well, well, you need space and I need... um, I need closeness. It can become like, well, I if if I don't see you for a couple of days, I need like a note or mm. like there's a, little, a lot of little tiny things that couples can do. Um, that the more individually negotiated, the more beautiful mm. because, um, yeah, because everybody has a different way of communicating love and a different way that they're able to communicate love as well. Mm. So for some people, like leaving little notes, you mm. know, makes it's their freaking day. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, other people, like um, a couple that I worked with, um, they they just make sure that they cuddle for three minutes mm. a day. Uh, for her, like one of them is a touchy person, the other one isn't. And that can be a real thing, you know, yeah, um, when definitely. one person wants to hug all the time and the other person's like, oh, no, just little fingers touching nothing else. Right. Um, so it's like, well, what is a, what is a happy, what's going to meet both of those needs in a way mm. that isn't totally stamping over one yeah. person? So 
Um, and then it doesn't really matter where you sit on the spectrum of neediness right. because it's kind of not about that. It's just about supporting each other. What about after a breakup if someone feels neediness? Mm. Well, most people do. Yeah. Well, not all the time, though. Some people, sometimes people deal with it, the, you know, the avoidant way, which is like, right, I'm done. I need a way. Like, uh, they just feel driven to get away and they feel driven not to speak to the other person, just as a person after a bre- breakup might be desperate to speak to the other person. Mm. It seems to me that the first one appears easier, well, appears like healthier. I don't know if that's a wrong perception. It's maybe not healthier if there are certain things that need to be discussed. But I even think about like my clients who come from counselling and how, you know, some may have been driven to just stay around their uh, narcissistic parents long into their adulthood, even though it was toxic for them, whereas they had an older sibling which ne- who never speaks to their parents, who just had that yeah. kind of like, I'm not going, you know, they are nuts, they are bad for me, and they just had that absolute, deta- like, the wall went up, and in some ways I think, okay, those kinds of people might actually be colder, but in some ways I feel like I can see why that might be a healthier defense mechanism. I don't know if that's that's true. Maybe it becomes maybe it comes at the expense. Of, maybe something else is lost in the adoption of that. You, yeah, I guess you're just going to work with what you've got. Yeah, it's very much about like what what's the actual intention behind mm-hmm. that. Like if somebody's cut off contact because they literally have had to shut that awareness of that part of their lives mm. out because they can't cope with it. Mm. It's not so healthy because mm. you know it's going to be like bubbling below the mm. surface as a as something that's going to be sabotaging them at some point in some way. Like they're either not going to be able to open up to somebody else, they're going to have a deep distrust, they're going to feel unsafe in the world basically mm. to open up again because they've um, hit this thing that is too terrifying for them to face. Right. Um, and the neediness, I mean, part of that is just, you know, like you've had a really strong somatic connection with somebody, it's natural that you're going to still, um, still think of them first for quite Mm. a while. Um, and I think one thing that happens a lot in relationships as well is that we, from a psychology perspective, we can kind of, when we're attracted to somebody, sometimes it's almost like a lost part of ourselves. Mm, For sure. Yeah. So when we lose them, it literally feels like I lost a part of myself. Mm-hmm. Like it's a horrible feeling. <laughs> yeah, you lost your, you know, you lost something that was a part of you. You, you also lost, you know, your your expectations for the future, your dreams, all the places you wanted to go with that person, all the things you want, you hoped you'd do together, possibly, you know, having children together, or possibly being together with the children no one yeah. very few people go into a marriage for example thinking you know what i think i want to stay with this person for four years start falling out of love with them end up resenting them try and work out the relationship but uh, not being able to and then uh, split up leaving our child um coming from a broken home right no one goes into (laughs) a marriage with that plan from the outset so it can be a really really big thing and even if you're not married you still you still end up feeling like you'll never have the connection you had with that person with anyone ever again and in a Mm. sense you well you won't you'll never have the same connection it will it will be something different hopefully it'll be something even better Hmm. but um, it certainly doesn't feel plausible at the time when you break up hmm. so it's it's one of the it's one of the most difficult things that people ever face in in life um you know the the a breakup or or the or a bereavement even worse or or just as bad um of a of a love of a partner you know you, yeah i think yeah you grieve you grieve in both situations. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of the reason that breakups are so painful. Um, and people often go into cycles of, of self-blame and mm-hmm. thinking that they could have saved it and all of those sorts of things as well. And I think there's a lot of um, forgiveness that we need to do when we go through a breakup that mm. we were doing the best we could. Like, yeah. generally, people aren't assholes, 
for the sake of being assholes. Generally, even if they have been an asshole, they had they were trying to do the best they could. And generally, people are just you know that's that's because people do often come out and they're like, I was a bad one, or, or they were terrible, or um, I think being able to forgive yourself for being in a situation where you acted the way you did and where you were the person who acted the way that they did and as much as possible just trying to let that go, have as much appreciation for what it was as you can and then you're going to be actually able to be open to the next to the next thing and to feeling okay in yourself as well. Um, you know, the whole cliche about you can't love anybody else until you love yourself, you know, it's absolutely true and you can't love yourself if you're still walking around beating yourself with a stick about mm. how you were in your last relationship. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So that is a, it's quite a journey to even get to the point where you enjoy your freedom again after a breakup, mm-hmm. and um, it's going to take some time to get to that. Um, there's going to be a lot uh, inter intervening time where you um, find it hard to adjust to a different kind of life but um, you don't need the added pressure of smacking yourself um, around with a stick oh if only I'd done this if only I'd done that but um, there's that the mind can go out of control trying to think of what you could have done differently or how you can get the other person back and what practices do you rely on to get I mean I'm not saying in that situation, but I imagine that you have practices you rely on to give yourself emotional support uh, um, that might be useful to others um, in that situation or in any situation where they might need to turn to themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one of the one of the key things that I, I work with people on is recognising that we have, like, a, we literally have, like, an internal ecosystem like we don't just have mm. – our inner world isn't just like, oh, our emotions and our intuition and that's it. Mm. Like we literally have um, different aspects of our psyche, mm. different aspects of our character. When we start to learn that, then we start to be able to see, oh, so there's part of me that's grieving here and then mm-hmm. there's part of me that sees that it wasn't so – there's yeah. a part of me that has a different perspective. Yeah. And when you see that, then you're able to find – then you're able to have some compassion for the part that's in mm. pain. Yeah. So so important, and and have a little bit of distance. So it's not like I'm the pain. It's like there's a part of me that's in pain here. And then you're able to be able to to have more compassion for that, to support that part, and to choose how you're going to act. Because there'll be other bits that are maybe feeling like empowered by by the breakup. There'll be other parts mm. that are feeling wise about it. Like then yeah. you can you can yeah it's so that's you know that I call, it's I call it integration because it's literally about being able to see all those different parts which is why you don't want to have a part where you're blaming yourself or, or mm. fighting it because then you've got this disintegration that's going to make you feel even worse because you're basically saying to part of yourself that um that it's that it's no good and what happens with that so say if um I'm trying to think of a good metaf- a good example for this um yeah, basically, if you're going around and you're you're carrying a lot of guilt, or you're, or you're carrying a lot of anger to the other person, like why, how could they treat me like that? How mm. could they break it off? Then, um, but you think that it's not okay to feel the anger? Mm. Then you're going to spend a lot of energy mm. suppressing yeah, that, yeah, and you're yeah. going to you're going to stay feeling hmm. shitty. Sounds familiar. <laughs> I've I've never yeah. I've never done that. I, don't I would either. never I've do just that. Read about it, yeah. <laughs> I would never do that. Never. <laughs> yeah, yeah so you, you know you might have one part that's very angry at them i'm just going to say her since for since it's male uh oriented but it could be either way and another part that says well to be fair you know it's their you know they're they're, they're perfectly they're not really in the wrong i mean they've not really done anything wrong the only thing is they're trying to gain their happiness in life the same way that anyone else does so you might have, on one hand, be really angry and feel abandoned and betrayed, but have another part that thinks, but, you know, uh, they're, they've not really done anything wrong. Or you have another part that thinks, you know that it's going to be right. You know that it's the best decision in the long term. It just sucks ass now. But you know fine well yeah. that this is yeah. what had to happen. So it's it's difficult. You know, this reminds me of internal family systems uh, therapy, which there's a... 
there's an episode, a couple of episodes of this podcast with Pete Gerlach that people can search. Really, really great episodes. He was an internal family systems therapy therapist, and in that they say that the human psyche is made up of different subselves that each have different roles, and to become a good self, you need to be great at negotiating not your interpersonal disputes but your intrapersonal disputes that yeah everyone gets a seat everyone gets a seat at the table you know your anger your outrage your sense of abandonment your hopes for the future your excitement that maybe you can do something different your you can who knows who knows you need to introspect and so your your sense is that not to try and repress the emotions but try and have compassion for your own emotionality and give those angry voices some space allow the anger yeah absolutely i mean anger anger is one of those things that is not like we're very um we're culturally terrified of anger now um Mm. but anger is actually it can be really cathartic it can be Mm -hmm. a really healing fiery emotion like i think um definitely allowing yourself to but to feel all of those parts Mm. so there's probably like the fear and the anger are probably separate parts it's probably Mm. a part of you that feels like an abandoned child Mm. part of you that feels like it's just going to burn the freaking place down Mm. um it's like allowing all of those and and letting yourself um you know appropriately express them as well Mm. Mm. so so what does an appropriate expression of anger look like (laughs) we all we all we're all familiar with the inappropriate expressions yes yeah, well, so something I teach people is literally, um, it's called completing a stress cycle. Mm. And it's like you set a timer and you literally, you might, if it's anger, you might punch a pillow, like mm-hmm. just go nuts, like beat the shit out of a pillow right. for a while, or you might throw a tantrum, scream. The thing is that we actually literally store these emotions mm. in our bodies, like they're not mm. just thoughts. Mm. So um, doing that allows your body to actually release the experience that it's had and move on and opens up space for new emotions mm. whereas when we're like it's not okay it's not okay it's not okay or we just try and think our way through it then it can literally stay locked in our system um right yes yeah, so, um but i mean you can do things you know if anything that's physical or expressive so yeah yelling at the person not not always ideal sometimes mm. probably depending on the culture that you come from mm-hmm. it might be more acceptable than others but like going out and like screaming into a pillow, screaming into the hills, going for a run, like just firstly acknowledging it and then mm. seeing what you need to do to move it, like moving right. it through you. Right, so yeah. to to get a felt sense of what that emotion is and then find a way to allow that in a more physical way, not just to kind of pace around your house storming necessarily. Yeah. I had such a crazy, such a crazy thing when I had my big breakup a few years ago. The, I can't remember exactly who gave me this advice, but I was seeing a lot of therapists mm. um, and not getting, yeah, feeling very stuck, like a lot of mm. talking and just it felt like Groundhog Day. But one of them was finally like, you need to get angry and you need mm. to get sad mm. because I was holding it all together mm. really, really well. So her like homework for me was to just be take a week off work and be incredibly sad, listen to sad songs, watch sad movies. Um, I think it culminated, I think I literally went to a cemetery. Mm-hmm. Very good. <laughs> just um, anything that made me cry, and I just cried myself silly for a week. And um, one of the best things I've ever done. <laughs> just wow. cleared out so much stuff that I've been holding for, I don't know, 30 years. <laughs> wow, amazing. Hmm. I wonder, I wonder what would happen, uh, what would have happened if I tried that. Oh, I did take quite a lot of space and support myself well. I did a lot of journaling. I even started doing affirmations, a whole bunch of stuff, even a lot of, yeah. uh, you know, getting out of the house. And I think I supported myself well, but I'd never experienced that something like that as an adult. As Well, I mean, I had as an adult on paper, but not as someone with as much awareness as I, I have gained so I didn't know I couldn't tell if it was the worst if it was the most suffering I'd ever experienced in my life or if um, I had it had been equally bad the last times I just didn't really have the awareness to allow myself to experience it so you are on Facebook Ruth Souter um, and you do regular live streams on issues 
pertaining to intimacy, relationships, our relationship with ourselves, um, sexuality, all that good stuff. What kind of topics do you cover? Oh, anything, anything that comes up. <laughs> uh, so one of the ones I did this week was what to do if you're attracted to somebody that you think you shouldn't be. Um <laughs> which was fun to do. Um, I've done a few on why I believe sexuality has to be part of the conversation Mm -hmm. about relationships and love and how it's often left out. I've done a couple on heartbreak. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just kind of whatever happens during the week. I'll shoot a live out about it and then forget about it. (laughs) Yeah, nice. So you can find those and many more to come if you tune in live and leave a comment. I'm sure Ruth will only be too happy to incorporate <laughs> your question into one of her live streams and they can find you at Ruth Souter. If they're friends with me on Facebook, they can find you through me. Yes. What are your other critical links? Where should people find you? Ruth under slash Souter, my name, basically under slash Tantra on mm-hmm. Instagram would be the other place to find me. Oh, cool. Yeah. 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 And, and your website? RuthSouter.com. Okay. So all, all about my name, keeping it simple. Yeah, that will make it nice and simple for people. Well, thank yeah. you for coming back on the show a second time. I'm certain it will not be the last recorded conversation that we share. That would be awesome. <laughs> Great. You at home, until next time, be yourself. Well, don't just be yourself. Be yourself and love it. <laughs>